Well, good morning, St. John's. It's good to see all of you again. I'm Jake. Um, pinch hitting for Tom this morning, who I hope is getting a good rest and, and just having some time to be with family. Um, our, our text for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. Um, so let's see here. I'll just get started from there. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and with glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is God's word. When I first started to become serious about my faith, I was about 20 years old, I remember passages like this would terrify me. They would, they would scare the living daylights out of me. All of a sudden, existence as we know it, shattering around us, stars falling from the sky, the, the sun going black, the moon not re reflecting its light, and Christ, as I imagined him then, with sort of this cold, stern look on his face, right? Coming on a, on a cloud, come to throw me into oblivion, right? This is kind of where I was at that time. As my life looked at that time, I did not imagine I would ever be part of the gathered elect, the ones that Jesus brings to himself and takes to his kingdom, right? I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't really certain about that. And I remember wondering, when Jesus came back, where would he find me? Where would he find me? You know, I was, I was in college at that time, and I remember thinking, is he going to find me sitting in my living room in the middle of the afternoon, watching sitcom reruns and eating out of a can of pork and beans? Right? I was terrified. He's going to find me wasting time. He's going to find me wasting my life. So I thought about this stuff, and I was worried about it. I probably wouldn't have admitted it. I, if you gave me a theological exam, I probably would have answered correctly, saying, no, I'm justified by grace through faith, apart from works prescribed by the law. 
I would have answered the theological questions right, but deep down I was concerned. So much so that I, I was living with roommates at the time, and I remember we had, we had uh, like any college students might have, we had posters in our living room of rock bands from the 60s and 70s, right? Like the Doors and stuff. And I remember seeing this, this documentary, which was like 30 years old, about how all these bands worship the devil. So I was terrified, and I ripped them all down from the walls. And it did make it a little awkward because they weren't my posters, right? So it was a little strange explaining sort of, you know, Jesus coming back, why I didn't want this to be present in my life at that time. But, right, I, I, I wondered, how is this Jesus going to find me? You know, what, what is he going to see when he comes back? on his clouds with the sun going black and the sky quaking. When you picture his face, when you picture his face in that moment, what do you see? What are his eyes telling you? What's the expression on his face? What's, what's the tone of his voice? What is he saying to you? Is he a friend or an enemy? Right? If we ask ourselves that question, it might tell us, sort of where we are in our hearts, because I know it took me a long time to change my answer to that question. Who is this one looking at me when we meet face-to-face finally at the end? And it took me a long time to realize that this judge, Jesus, is judged in my place for me, that all of my sin, my failures, my pain, my brokenness, the pain of the world is thrown on this one, and he is judged for me and in my place And that means that that face that I meet, the face that you meet, will be a face of uncompromising love. Those are the eyes we're going to see. That's the face that we're going to meet because of what he's done. See, this passage, this passage is a passage of uncompromising hope. It is a proclamation of hope. It is, it is the fulfillment of the longing of all living things for all time, for true life and for true peace. That's what we have here. The one who restores creation, coming back to rescue creation, coming back to bring real justice. My one point today is simply this, that God transforms our present with his coming future. God transforms how we live now by the promise of his return. That that is changing everything right now. That we are knowing that and feeling that in at least a small way right now. And that can change our lives. So I want to begin by just looking at verses 26 and 27. When Jesus says this. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. From the ends of the earth to the ends of heavens. Now, it sounds like Jesus is riding a storm cloud, right? Like some salvific surfer coming on this cloud to come find us. But really what this text is getting at is that Jesus is bringing the cloud. He's bringing the cloud. Now, what on earth does that mean? It means Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, especially verse 21. Well, you'll you'll recall that Yahweh God is, is leading his people through the desert. And he takes the form of a pillar of cloud. Right? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is, his, this is what Jesus is getting to. And this is what it says in Exodus 13, 21. 
By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. See, this is not meant to be some frightening example or warning of God's power. It's a reassuring sign of God's presence. The cloud is God's presence. Come to envelop the world. Come to envelop and restore the earth. The pillar that led his people by day. This time, it's not just for Israel. It's for the whole world. That the presence of God is coming to. But it's not just God's presence. With God's presence, we also get God's justice. God's restoration of all things. Restoration of relationships. Right? Justice in the Hebrew is mishpat. It's, it's bringing things back together. It's restoring things. It's making things wrong. It's making the, the wrong things right again. Right? That's justice. You remember in Exodus 19 when Yahweh tells Moses, don't allow the people to get close to my presence. Right? Don't allow the people or even animals to get close to the mountain, to get close to the cloud where my presence is, or they will die. Because they, they can't come near me without restoration. They can't come near me without the relationship being restored. Remember that, remember that interesting moment in Exodus. And yet, so like that's, that's not good news for us, right? <laughs> the guilty, the lawbreakers, that we cannot get close to God's presence without dying, that his presence is so beautiful and raw. And yet, and yet, one of the amazing things about this passage is that it says Jesus is bringing the cloud of God's presence, and he's bringing it directly to the people, and he's gathering them up, Gathering them up like a mother hen gathers her chicks. So how is he doing that? It means that someone has already restored the relationship. It means that he, by his life and death, has already restored the relationship before we even knew what the heck was going on. And he is bringing God's presence to reclaim us and to bring us back to himself. See, justice is not some sentimental pipe dream. Justice will be done on this earth. Things will be made right in this place. Things will be made right. Justice actually will roll down like waters, especially for the broken, especially for the vulnerable, especially for the weak. This is God's heart. It's all over the scriptures. That justice is real and it's coming, mishpat. It's coming with God's presence. Right? So how does that change our present right now? Right? How, does, how does that change our current life, the way that we live? Well, it, me, it means at least this, for one thing. Every act of love that you give, every moment you stand up for someone who can't speak for themselves, anytime you take the place of Christ in someone's life and speak a word of kindness, speak a word of forgiveness, you speak a word of love, all of that matters. Every bit of that matters because it is in tune with the music that is going to save the world. It's in, it's, the last word in this earth is going, to be, is going to be love and justice when Christ comes. And every moment we give someone love, we are in tune with the truth of reality. We are part of it. We are part of that coming future. Have you ever been to an orchestra, symphony orchestra performance, live, you know, in a concert hall? I remember when Greta and I lived out west, 
Um, Greta lived with a friend of ours who he, he lived with his wife and his family. And there was a little room in the basement where Greta stayed. And, and uh, this was in Portland. And he was a cellist for the Portland Symphony Orchestra. And so we got, we got to go anytime we wanted, right? At least once a week, <laughs> we would be there. Beautiful, great seats, right? These are the seats for the family members. And we would sit there and just be blown away by this beautiful music. But if you've ever been there, you know that there's this moment before the actual concert begins when all the musicians are tuning their instruments, right? And there's this cacophony of sound rising and just filling the space. And it's this, it's this amazing experience. And you just get hit with it in your heart. It's not, it's not the actual music, but it's the foreshadowing of the music, right? It's not the actual concert, but it's a taste of the concert. You're getting a small taste of what is to come, right? It's pointing toward the glory that will be revealed when that director walks out onto center stage and everyone is in their rightful place. And then you get hit with that specific joy that only a live symphony orchestra can bring. This is what our acts of love point to in this world. It points to the symphony of love and justice and peace that is going to rule the world someday and that is going to restore all things someday. And that's good news. The disciples that Jesus is talking with in this moment, in about 40 years, they are going to witness the unthinkable. They're going to witness the destruction of Jerusalem the city of God. They're going to witness the destruction by the Romans of the temple of God. It's going to lay in ruins. And Jesus knows this 40 years beforehand, and he tells the disciples this story of his coming future. And that tells me at least this, that Jesus believes that when it looks like all hell is breaking loose around us, we need this story, right? More of it. We need more of this story in our present awareness. We need more of his coming future in our present circumstances to reflect on it, to get it more into our awareness. He, he knew it would be the strength of the disciples, that they could face anything if they knew he was coming back for them. And he knows that for us too, that this is our reassurance. Right? When it looks like your life is crashing all around you, where do you go for assurance that this is not just some joke or some story? Where do you go for the promise? Where do you go for assurance? Our first instinct may be to get to a church or some grand cathedral. That's not a bad idea. That's, that's a good idea. To get to a church and to hear the word, right? Whereas I hear in the hospital a lot, someone might go and find a quiet, peaceful spot in the woods to find God and to find promise and assurance that God is with them, a peaceful spot. Like maybe even in a tree stand these days, right? Or on a fishing boat peaceful, quiet place. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to go there. God is a God of peace. He's a God of beauty. But there is something the New Testament, and especially Mark, is always pushing us to recognize. And that's that in Jesus Christ, God has torn the dividing curtains, torn the dividing curtains apart between himself and the world. Right? He is coming to be with us. He is coming to be with his people. 
no matter where they are, whatever kind of darkness they are in, whatever kind of brokenness they are in, he will be with his people. And sometimes that means he is most with you when he seems most absent. Sometimes that means he is most present when the situation appears most godless. And how do we know this? You look at the Gospel of Mark. There's these amazing bookends in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 1. Remember when Jesus is baptized. And it says the heavens are ripped open. Schizo in the Greek. They're torn apart. They're ripped open. And the Spirit descends like a dove on this young Palestinian Jewish rabbi. That's just in the first chapter. The heavens are ripped open and God is present. You go all the way to chapter 15. And Jesus is on the cross, dying for our sins, restoring the world. And the curtain of the temple is ripped in two. Right? The same word, schizo, torn apart. All of the divisions in our world are ripped apart and God is coming close. All of the dividers that we build up are broken down and God is coming close to be with his people. In our brokenness, in our sin, in our misery, if that's where we are, wherever we are, he's right there in that darkness. The places where it seems like loneliness reigns, you know, quarantine, separation from loved ones on a holiday. God is right there. He's going to be with his people. He's going to be near to your heart. That's where Christians look for God, in those places where it looks like he is most absent. He knows all of those experiences, the brokenness and the pain. He knows every bit of them, and he's taken them all on himself. He knows them intimately in his bones, in his heart, in his soul. But it's not just that he knows those realities. He's actually restoring our humanity in himself and then giving it back to us, full and complete. That's what's going to happen. Totally healed. New life, new creation. You know that great point in our, our passage where Jesus is talking about the fig tree and how you'll know that summer is coming when the leaves begin to bud? Well, in the Middle East, fig trees were one of the only trees that actually lost their leaves in the winter. Pretty much all the other trees kept their leaves. It was pretty green. But the fig trees lost their leaves. And Jesus was making a distinct connection, a deliberate connection between the healing of all things and the coming of summer. Right? Between the, the healing of all things, his presence returning, and the coming of summer. Now we look forward to summer here, don't we? Right? We long for it. We long for the spring. I know, me especially, I, from now until April, even when it's snowing, I'm looking for signs of spring. Any assurance of hope. That something different is coming. I will, I will strain my eyes to see a little bud on a tree when I know that that branch is as dead and dry as ever. Right? But I am longing for the spring. I am longing for the summer, and I am watching for it passionately. How much more ought we to watch for the, for the restoral, the renewal, God's summer coming and restoring all things to the earth? How much more as Christians who believe this promise? You know, Tim Keller, in one of his sermons, he says that God is bringing a summer that will make the best summer of your lives, the best summers of your life look like subtle echoes 
just faded memories for the kind of summer of restoration that he is bringing to this earth. If we know that that true healing is coming, doesn't it make us want to be a part of it? Right? If you know that true healing is coming, you know, you can you can endure almost any kind of medical treatment necessary. Right? If you know that at the end of end of the year that you're going to be able to retire and you get a check for a hundred million dollars, you can withstand almost any kind of work environment for that year, right? Because you know what's coming. You know the glory that is coming. You know the healing that is coming. See, our love and our service in this world is how we celebrate the reality of what is to come. It's not that we earn it. It's how we celebrate it. What does it mean for you this Advent? That God is bringing his spring. That God is bringing his summer. And can, can the reality of that coming hope bring a new summer light into our lives right now in this place, right? Can that, can that hope warm our lives right now in this place? And just to be clear, this isn't some cliche about a silver lining or everything is going to work out in the end. No, we don't ignore that stuff as Christians. We, we, we are with people in their pain and brokenness, and we don't, we don't try to speak it down with some cliche about this stuff. But this is the reality that God is bringing. He's right here in our grief. And one day, in place of every bit of our brokenness, will be the summer day for which our, our, our hearts have always longed. See, when Jesus Christ was pinned up on that Roman cross, no one thought that was God rescuing us. No one thought that was God coming to save his people. You heard sounds of weeping. You saw sights of blood and torture. And yet God was most active in the place where we would have thought he was most passive. God was most active in the place he looked most vulnerable and most helpless and most defeated. At the time he looked most defeated, God was actually most victorious on the cross. So try looking for him in the places you would least expect him this Advent. Look at the crosses in your life for the one who is bringing his summer to bear on your soul. Try picturing him there. Remember, he has torn the heavens open and ripped the curtain in two to be with us. And he is not letting us go. How did Jesus endure his present? How did Jesus endure the cross and his suffering? He envisioned your return, right? It says, for the hope that was set before him, he endured the cross. He envisioned your return to his heart and to God's heart. And that gave him the strength to face anything. Carrying the pain of the world. You are the one that he had in mind. And knowing that he could endure hell because he envisioned your return to him means you can endure anything envisioning his return for you. No matter what you face this Advent, whatever kind of pain or brokenness 
you're experiencing. Our answer is not to just simply buckle down and grit our way through it, just kind of grind our teeth and grit our way through it. No, the answer is more of this. It's more of his coming future right now. It's more of the awareness of what's going to be right now. See, that changes our lives. That changes our now. That changes our present, doesn't it? When you picture his face and his eyes, what do you see? Who do you see there? See, you see the one who envisioned you on the cross, and that was his strength. That's the eyes that you see. Those are the eyes that catch yours in the final moment, right? This is going to be, this moment is the consummation of a marriage, not the condemnation of a criminal. That is the Christian story. Jesus Christ answers the winter of our despair with a cosmic summer. And may the light of that summer begin shining in our lives right now because God loves to change our present with his future. He loves to do it. So let's pray together. Gracious God, we look for your coming summer of redemption. God, we open our hearts and and strain our eyes at times to see where you are present. And we know that by looking at the cross, we know that you are sometimes most active and most present in those places where it seems like you are most absent. So God, reassure us of your presence. Reassure us of this story more and more that you are coming, that you are coming. May we prepare our hearts to receive that face of love on that day. And Lord, may we prepare our hearts to receive you today in this meal where your body is broken and your blood is shed for us.